For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for culture and conservation within fly fishing. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is made possible by Deli Fresh Design. So where are we? Yeah, we're at the Deli Fresh Design shop. We're here in Denver, Colorado. We're in a warehouse. So we take raw materials and then turn them into fly fishing gear. But this isn't any old fishing gear. The fly wallets, beer koozies, reel bags, and fishing packs that Deli Fresh handcrafts are made from sustainably sourced recycled materials like Gore-Tex waders and sailcloth. Check out the latest designs from the Deli Fresh crew on Instagram, at Deli Fresh Design. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Drake Cast. A few weeks ago, we released an episode about wild trout in North Georgia. Essentially, these are the southernmost brook trout in the world, the southernmost native brook trout that I can find on a map, and I've been looking for about a decade, so pretty special place and it's beautiful the evening after that fishing adventure i hopped in clyde and basically just drove north until eventually i met this guy we made it we finally meet how you doing joel nice to meet you nice likewise to meet you. man um i'm glad you made it and i'm, I'm glad you figured it out because it can be a little tricky over here this is joel johnson he rocks a shaved head and sports a confident genuine grin joel currently runs an advertising company but before that, he was the chief marketing officer for Trout Unlimited, so we can assume that this dude knows his stuff. But I could tell he was a little bit sleepy. I was at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Dinner last night. How'd that go? Great, but I didn't make it home, dude. We were out till oh man, two in the morning drinking, and so I just stayed at a hotel. I had to go buy a shirt. I just, you know, I'm like kind of a hot mess right now. <laughs> Well, that makes two of us. I drove until 3.30 in the morning and slept in a Walmart parking lot. It felt good knowing that we were both running on empty. We hopped in his car and drove down a gravel road, went through an extremely narrow tunnel, until we came upon a park. And just down the hill from us, the trees opened up to reveal a river. There's a boathouse here that's been run by the Binstead family for many, many years. And there's the rowboats and the kayaks, and people can come and rent and fish. Within sight of the boathouse, you got people fly fishing, spin fishing, hooked up. There's a little girl in that boat over there. A lot of fathers and mothers come out here, bring their kids for their first fishing experience, which is awesome. And uh, good, there's plenty of boats to rent, so we're going to be good. This is Fletcher's Cove on the mighty Potomac River, which is just about two miles upstream from our nation's capital, Washington, (sighs) D.C. This is Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Good to see you. Good to be down here in your uh, in your haunt. Yeah. <laughs> we walked over to the boathouse, and Joel introduced me to the man behind the desk. Yeah, Sounds old. like the fish are here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's quite a few fish. It's a little murky today. Yeah. You know, where the river keeps flirting with being between fishable and unfishable. Uh huh. Well, we'll so, get after. Yeah. This is Dan Ward, and he's been around this place for a good while now. So, how long have you worked here? So, believe it or not, I, I started working here in seventh grade in, in 1969. So I go back a long way. Worked with the Fletcher family for a long, long time. And this place, Fletcher's Cove, is a pretty well-known fishing destination on the Potomac. 
and has been for decades. Well, the Fletcher family started this in sometime in the just the post-Civil War era, sometime in the late 1800s. And it was they, the Fletchers that I worked for were third and fourth generation. And, and what was it back in, say, 1880? Back then it was mostly, you know, boats, rowboats. And um, I, doubt, I don't think they started canoes till around World War II. It's always been a great fishing spot. This cove is a natural magnet for fish. And because we're only a mile from the tide line, this is where a lot of fish sort of back up like a traffic jam. And we were at the boathouse to, well, rent a boat. Can I rent a boat? Sure. And he's going to need a fishing license. Okay. So for the boat, this is safety information and then sign at the bottom. You can Alrighty. just check that off. So go. this license, um, try not to lose it because... Great. And it, is this that's an for, annual? That's the calendar year. And 13 bucks. 13 bucks, yeah. It's a bargain. License in hand, Joel and I were one step closer to our quarry. We hopped in the car one last time to go park. I, I fished last night. We had high water a day ago um, from a little bit of rain, so the water's up, but uh, it was nonstop action despite the chocolate milk water because there are literally hundreds of thousands of shad in that river right now. Just the whole city, the whole river goes from feeling like it's lifeless in the winter to just an explosion of life. So today, we'll row our way out into Fletcher's Cove on the Potomac River in search of the elusive American shad. While we're out there, we'll hear about the history of this fish, the odds they've faced over the past five centuries, and what this fish and this place represent in our country and our sport. Now, I know the shad run is a spring thing, but this story is about much more than just the fish. And at the end, we'll get a current DC area fishing report. So stick around. We're just at the edge of the dock, getting into one of the dozen or so remaining rowboats. And basically, um, the rowboats are uh, 12 feet long, red hulls and painted gray, and they're just, they're really like working craft. They get beat up a lot. Down at the dock, we took in the scene. The water was a bit muddy, but at any given time, at least a couple of the 12 or so boats out there were hooked up to fish. You mind just saying who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, hey, I'm Faisal. I've worked here for like maybe six years or so, and I'm kind of like the, the dock staff here. <laughs> I typically kind of just manage most of the boats around here, make sure everything's kind of cleaned up and looking nice. And uh, it's a pretty sweet gig. It's just, there's a lot of friendly people around. I love this place. It's got like great atmosphere, and it's just a whole lot of fun. I've been here for so long, and I just love seeing all the people like go out there being like happy and fishing and everything, and I love like helping them out and everything. Faisal made sure we had a working anchor, which was just a big river rock lashed to a cheap rope. And then he shoved us off into the cove. What do we see in Oh, that's a black, I, I don't even know what, that's not an Apache, it's like a, it's like, it's not even a Chinook, but it's a big black helicopter. So we're a mile and a half from the CIA. We are two miles from the Washington Mall and the monument. That's the most amazing thing about the Potomac River. It's a green sanctuary in the middle of one of the most bustling cities in the country. And it, this particular area of the cove is in a kind of a canyon between the CNO Canal and um, the highway up there on the top of the ridge, which is Virginia on that side, uh, DC right here, and then just a few miles over that way, you're in Maryland. So it's a kind of a confluence, you know, and the Potomac here starts to really widen as it comes into the city. After a quick row, we threw our anchor rock and came to a stop. Right now we're sitting on the boat, we're in the middle of the cove, we're in a, an area where there's a little current underneath us. It's a low tide, 
there's a bright bluebird day so there's a little more visibility. We've got a tandem rig on of shad darts because I want to see what colors they're hitting. And then also, I think the idea of having the tandem rig is just to create more traction, just like in any tandem rig. The shad darts are really there to piss them off. They're here to spawn, not eat. So they're just doing reactionary bites. And they'll come up to the surface, they'll chase it to the surface, they'll take it down low. And not long after anchoring up, we found him. Oh, there you go. Yes! Oh, it was a little guy, but you know what? He, uh, he ate, so we'll take him. It's like literally, you know, six inches is a bait fish. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm missing a lot of fish over here. Good, good. Well, that's what we want. Because eventually you'll stop missing them. <laughs> missing them. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, man. Seriously non-committal. But you know what, though? I mean, sometimes I'll take that at the bite, you know? When you get out in the water and you have those days and nothing is, <laughs> you get no bumps, you, you, have to, you have to appreciate the bumps. The fish we were catching were hickory shad, which have several relatives that inhabit the rivers of the Atlantic coast. Historically, these fish ranged from the rivers of Labrador all the way down to Florida. They're an anadromous species, meaning that they're born in freshwater where they spend their first summer, and then they head out into the ocean to get big. But every spring, these shad make their way back to their natal rivers for a few weeks to spawn. There's a fish. There's a fish. Despite all the failed hook sets, about every 10th cast brought a nice hickory shad to hand. This is a little hickory. He's about 12 inches, 13 inches. No, actually I'm wrong. He's a little bit bigger. He's about 14, 15. And we're using um, 7 weight and 8 weight rods with a sink tip. And then just shad darts. Though we were targeting the hickory's larger cousin, the American shad, which can get up to eight pounds, it's a sin to criticize a tight line. But the fishing hasn't always been like this. Actually, it used to be even better. The annual springtime run of shad on the East Coast brought a bounty of food to the Native Americans right as their winter reserves were running out. These indigenous peoples in turn taught the trick to their white neighbors when they started showing up. You know, historically, shad populations are nowhere near to what they originally were. This was like America's founding fish. You know, if it wasn't for shad, America would look very differently because it fed the colonies and it fed the entire Atlantic, mid-Atlantic coast during its, you know, its, its growth. Back in the 1760s, before our president George Washington was a revolutionary, Huge commercial harvests of shad and other herring helped his Mount Vernon plantation stay afloat. But of course, he didn't catch these fish. His slaves did. Because let us never forget that the great founder of our nation had a shit ton of slaves. Shad came in real handy for Mr. Washington again in 1778, when he and his group of rabble-rousers were starving at Valley Forge. Though there are many rumors and tall tales, it's said that a shipment of shad from the Potomac River came just in time for old Georgie and the Continental Army to eat up before they kicked those British brutes off of our blessed land. But like all good things, this abundance of shad had to come to an end. As more and more people populated the eastern coast of the United States, demand for this tasty morsel grew. But they overfished it, you know? This, coupled with an explosion in dam building that limited the shad's freshwater migration, really did a number on the fish. It's all the shad populations, they all crashed, you know? So it was the same in this river as well. And then of course you had, with all the industrialization of America, you had pollutants and farm pollutants like phosphorus and chemicals in the water. 
which didn't do anything for the remnant population after the birth of the country. Shad populations continued their downward slide through the 20th century. And eventually, commercial and recreational shad harvests across the Atlantic shut down. Despite the decline, there were still a few shad around, and the government decided that these fish needed a boost. They, they did a stocking program in, uh, between, I think it was Maryland, Virginia, and, and maybe the district. And there was a stocking program to bring the fish back. They stocked in several rivers up and down Virginia coast, and I believe even South Carolina, North Carolina had a stocking program. And part of this stocking program took place on the Potomac River. Actually, it worked so well that... There's talk I've heard of taking part of the successful population of fish out of this river, the Potomac, and transplanting them to see if they do better in lower Virginia rivers. So we'll see if that, that, that works. It'd be great if they did. You know, oh, fish. There we go. Yes. It's a smaller one, but it's, it's a fish. This, okay, so this little guy here, this is the future of shad. This is a, a first year class shad, a hickory. And he was born last year. He's about six inches long. But Joel has another theory as to why the shad in the Potomac have come back so well. But this system, you know, this system has had, you've got, you know, both branches of the Shenandoah River uh, dumping into the Potomac. And the system itself has had issues, you know, in the, up in the headwaters in Western Maryland and in West Virginia, mining and, and farming have degraded those rivers pretty dramatically. And there have been fish kills up there, but they're coming back. You know, they're definitely coming back. And I think that has a direct impact on why the Potomac is coming back, you know. Every time, every story, it's like, just go to the headwaters and you'll figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Not a new story. It's absolutely just gorgeous, you know? I mean, the cormorants are still up in the trees, but when they come down and start to feed, that's also a good sign that the fish are on the move. Despite the troubles that the shad have faced, they're back in the Potomac with a vengeance. You caught your first white perch and your first hickory. We had a, an American on for a second, which I popped off. And we'll, we're, we're gonna find some more Americans, I'm almost positive, because there's a huge number of Americans in here right now. As we tied on new flies and changed our approach in hopes of finding an American, Joel told me how he came to the sport of fly fishing. I've been in advertising and marketing for 20 years. Fish, there we go. I was stressed out working in New York, 60 hour weeks you know, chasing a dollar. And I was like, I need a hobby. <laughs> and I started spin fishing again. And I would actually go up to the reservoirs just outside the city. And uh, those are challenging, tough places to fish because they're reservoirs, you know, and you gotta have a boat. And so then I started seeing these guys walk in and then they, with their fly rods, and they were going to the tailwaters in between the reservoirs. And I was like, oh, let me try that out. So did you have like a mentor or were you just trial and error, man? Trial and error. I took a year and just really fished my brains out. That's, that's what it was. Fast forward 15 years. Well, I used to be the chief marketing officer at Trout Unlimited. And that was not a fish. 
Oh, he's hot. That was a great job. It was a dream job. I got the opportunity to meet conservationists and anglers of all stripes, all persuasions. And of course, I got to fish my brains out. I fished over 52 rivers in three years. And during his time with TU, Joel was also exposed to other opportunities. I was out here um, three years ago when I was with um, TU. My boss, Chris Wood, was volunteering at a leadership academy in the city, and it was a male academy charter school. So there's, you know, young black kids, young black guys. And he's like, I'm going to take all of you guys fishing. So he got a bunch of us from the, from the office, and we to act as guides for the day. And we, we came down here during the run, had like eight boats, three kids in each boat. These kids, they, they live here, okay? They live in this city, never been down to the cove, never been down to the water, never been on a rowboat, never held a fly rod or any, any rod, which I think is a damn shame. Screaming like little girls when they caught a fish because, well, any, you know, it's, it's not, I won't say it's easy, but you, might catch a fish. but you might catch a fish when there's like, you know, 50,000 fish in the cove. You might catch one. So these, these kids, man, they had the time of their lives. They were, they were terrified to be on the water, you know, but we put them in life vests. And you should just hear them just cursing up a storm. Oh, you know, everything out of their mouth was a curse. And you could see the people on the, the river going, oh my God, what is this? This is so different. I'm like, you know what? This is their city too. This is their resource. And now they know about it. <laughs> just missed them. It's really, I'm telling you, it's a trip. This river is a trip. It's very democratizing. So one thing that's interesting about DC, oh, fish. Oh, he's off again. God damn. Um, the one thing that's interesting about DC is it's this historically black city with um, a vibrant, like, middle class and because, you know, everyone works in, you know, the government or they're in the beast. Somehow they're in the belly of the beast, like consultants or whatever. But it's like a very resilient town. So when, like, the recession hit, D.C. kind of weathered it really well. And now there's a fair amount of development going on and a ton of gentrification. So you look at this river and it's so diverse, right? There is a couple of guys handlining fishing. I think they're Hispanic. Yeah, they're Hispanic. They got their little daughter along while they fish. And you got like congressional aides out here, those sort of young preppy kids who are out here fishing. And then you've got guys with spin fish gear. It's a lot of old timers who do this every year. It's like their, it's like their ritual. Oh, fish, there we go. Now, hopefully he's on. Yeah, he's on. Oh, all right, there we go. So, um, what I love about this cove is it's like a little microcosm of DC. It's, it's like, uh, it's so diverse, you know, in terms of the people. I mean, we were watching that, that large family fishing from for shore earlier, you know? Oh, there we go. That is a nice one. As Joel explained this, we passed by the family of handliners. You had any luck with the handlining? Have you had any luck with the handlining? They said they'd had some luck. <coughs> you got bait on there? Uh-huh. About three minutes later, we looked back towards the boat to see the young girl furiously wrapping monofilament around a Coke bottle while pulling in a nice shad. You know what I think we might do? 
we may go up. It shouldn't be this slow. It just shouldn't be. I see a lot of birds working way up above us in that trough. I think we're gonna go up. Nobody here is crushing it. Maybe they just moved up a bit. But before we can go find the big fishes, a few quick words from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll see about those American Chad, meet some old timers and hear why they keep coming back to the Potomac, and even get a current fishing report from Rich Farino of District Angling Fly Shop. So don't go anywhere, folks. My name is Camille Egdorf. This is Bessie Buholtz with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. Tom Melvin. This is Jim Kludes. Will Flack here, guide, lodge owner, and travel ambassador. Uh, my name is Brian Gregson. I'm a professional photographer and videographer. This is Sean Lawson. Yeah, my name is Carter Lyles. Hi, I'm John Hudgens. Doug McKnight, Bahamas and Honduras program director. These are the voices of the pros at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. And it's their job to make sure that you, the adventurer, get the most out of your fly fishing travel. Even though right now it is summertime and your local stream is probably popping off like crazy, soon enough, that's going to come to an end. Plan your off-season escape with the most dedicated crew in the business. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember, while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. We're also sponsored by the artists and manufacturers at Scott Fly Rods. A couple months back, I spoke with Michigan smallmouth guru, Dave Schultz, about why he trusts and uses Scott fly rods. I'm a blue collar kid, man. I was raised, you know, in, in Metro Detroit and, um, you know, driving a Ford or a Chevy or a Chrysler vehicle was the way of life, you know, all the money kind of trickled down from the automotive industry. So to buy a rod that was made overseas or any product was kind of taboo. You really didn't even see any Toyotas around here 20 years ago. But, you know, I think one of the things that really set Scott apart is they've been made in the USA from start to finish since 1974. You know, it's 44 years of rod building experience. There's something to be said about that. To get your hands on your future favorite fly rod, visit scottflyrod.com or your local fly shop. When I think of a hand-built American-made fishing tool, I think of Scott Fly Rods. Alrighty, back to the Potomac River. We just got to change the game completely and leave, leave the cove a little bit. After rowing our way upstream of the cove, we got back to fishing. Oh yeah, you can go ahead. I threw the anchor slash rock overboard, and within seconds... Fish! That was a good call. First cast fish. <laughs> that, this was, that was worth that hard row, man. You, you, oh, you, yeah. you were getting a little red. <laughs> oh, man, <I'm> <laughs> but he is just a very happy hickory. Jumping. Oh, double. Joel pulled in his fish. This is another young of the year, first year fish, back probably for its first time. Bright silver, six, six inches long, seven inches long. But whatever was on the end of my line felt a little different. Oh, you got a fish on? Oh, but not a big American. You said you're all quietly like, uh, do you have, a, you have your phone ready? <laughs> don't, all right, all right, uh, don't, don't lose that guy. Thanks, man. <laughs> nice job, man. Got your American. You. I'm getting fishy hands. Sweet, dude. <laughs> Little baby tarpon. Poor man's tarpon. <laughs> That's what I call it. The fish hovered around four pounds, and its big eye, large silvery scales, and bucket mouth slightly resembled the tarpon that I had failed to land in the Keys. 
I knew the Americans had to be around here somewhere. I mean, sh shit. They just moved up about 200 feet. One by one, the boats are going in. A few diehard guys sitting out here. Sun's going down. It's the best time to be on the river. And though the fish continued biting, we figured it was time to call it a day. Oh, my arm is tired. I don't know how many we caught. I lost count. I'm sure we caught over 50. Oh, yeah. yeah. Call it a day. Last one's off the water. <laughs> we pulled into the dock just in time to witness a time-honored tradition. Uh, so what are you doing right now? Uh, taking down the flag uh, on the dock here. It's the end of the day. My name is Alex Binstead. I have worked here for 16 years. Uh, right now I am the general manager of Fletcher's. And what keeps you down here? Well, fishing is, is a major part of it. I've been coming down here for my whole life. My family lived in this neighborhood and my dad and my parents dragged me down here when I was a few days old. Um, and so it's just been an institution for me. Um, so the fishing is probably primary, but it's a great place to work. Even though we're in D.C., it's just an escape from the city, which is what I like the most. And I think a lot of people like that about this place. The shad runs have not always been how they are today. Mm -hmm. How have you experienced them since you were a kid? Oh, um, well, today we were catching a whole bunch of American shad, and it's become partly because I'm a better angler, but that run of American shad has been restored in recent years. In the last, when I was a kid, if you hooked one, it was a, you know, a few times a year experience, at least for a child angler. Um, and I remember losing one at the boat one year and just cursing. You know, everybody was shocked that some child was cursing as much as I was, but it was, it was, you know, there were not that many of them. So it was a big deal to have one on the line and then to lose it when you thought you were going to land, it was a huge deal. Now you lose one and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and cast again. I chatted with a few other folks about their experiences at Fletcher's Cove over the years. Fishery in the middle of this town where fathers and sons and daughters can all come out and catch fish, it's just amazing. And even when the, sh when the shad's over, you get stripers in here and smallmouth bass. Just a lot of fish living here, but you gotta hunt for them. <laughs> you know, that's some people like that guy. And when the man said this, he pointed over at an old timer who seemed to be getting ready to take off. Excuse me, Mike. So I ran after him. Mike. You said Mike. Your name was Mike. I'm Elliot. Elliot. Okay. And you are? Mike. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Only one Mike here. This is Mike Elpert. I hear you've been coming down here for nobody knows how many years. Because A long it's just time. Been... <laughs> oh, I know how many years. I showed up here in 1950. What they have here is you could pretty much say that there are more fish in this river per square foot at this time of the year than any place else on the East Coast. So it's, it's got a really great reputation for a small group of people that really know the things, you know, they're him. I've been fortunate to be here since I was, I showed up here when I was like 10 years old or so, and I'm still hanging around. You know, a great river like this river, you got the Potomac River here. If you think about somebody like Mark Twain, Mark Twain would have never been Mark Twain without a great river. And so this is a great river for us right here in Washington, D.C. After harassing the locals, I made my way back to Joel to say goodbye. How did this whole thing start or spawn, if you will? So 
I was listening to the podcast. I was on a, a business flight. I was actually going to go see my client in Vermont, and I was listening to some fly fishing podcasts. I was like, oh, let me listen to the Drake cast. It sounds good. And after listening to two or three shows, I was like, man, you got to tell the story of the shad run here. This is just perfect, you know, just as a, you know, as a fishery and then as a, as a experience. And I just thought you, you didn't get a kick out of it, basically. So, yeah, that's kind of how I started. And then I, I sent you an email and... Um, Actually, I think it was LinkedIn. Oh, no, I sent you on LinkedIn because I didn't have your Which email. I plug for LinkedIn and bringing people together. And, Absolutely. Uh, supporting fisheries around the United States. <laughs> Find your next fishing buddy on LinkedIn. Fishing. Yeah. All right, man. Cool, man. Good luck. Uh, Drive safe. Yeah, let's be in touch. Maybe we'll be in the same place at the same time. I'd love that. I think, I, I'm sure we will be. That night, I drove to Lynchburg, Virginia. And as I came into town, I crossed a river. The James River, actually. And earlier in the day, Joel had told me a little bit about this waterway. Apparently, though, the Virginia Department of Fish and Game, or I'm not sure what it is, but the, the biologists in Virginia feel like the population in rivers like the Rappahannock and the James have not come back in a sufficient enough way for them to maintain their stocking program. So um, I think they've stopped it. After doing a little bit of research, I learned that a long time ago, the James River had a large run of shad. Again, overfishing, excessive damming, and pollution hurt the population. But in 1992, the state of Virginia began an aggressive restocking program. Unfortunately, from the get-go, the program was constantly plagued by lack of funds and eventually a lack of eggs because the shad run in the river that supplied their broodstock started to decline as well. Millions of dollars and 25 years later, in 2017, the state of Virginia abandoned its stocking program in the James River. While we should celebrate how well the Potomac Shad Run is doing right now, we can't forget that it's an anomaly. And the diversity that we saw on the water in Fletcher's Cove, that too is an anomaly. And while we were on the water, Joel explained how he thinks the sport can be more inclusive. So fly fishing, so okay, so I'm African-American. And there are not that many African-Americans fly fishing, but there's, there's a few. There's actually probably more Hispanics fly fishing, believe it or not. You have to look in the Southwest to find them. Of course, you know, the younger generations, they're not fishing, as you know, the same way that the grandfathers and our fathers fished in a very segregated environment. You know, they're, they're, they're fishing together to have fun. It's not always about getting away. Sometimes it's just about the social aspect of it. And that's, I think, what's attracting women to the sport. It's, it's not just about the fishing. It's about being in the water, you know, being in, the na- in nature, surrounded by water, hanging with good friends. That's what it's about. I would like to see more diversity in the sport in terms of representation. The magazines, the videos, the social feeds, they're, they're just not that diverse. And, you know, if we, this sport, this sport is in trouble. It has been in trouble for years. And it's only going to continue to shrink if we don't get more people in it. And people have to see themselves represented. You know, they have to see themselves fishing. You know, A, to get over the stigma. B, it's freaking hard, so they have to be able to imagine they can do it. And then see, they want to see people like them. They want to see young people. They don't want to see the, the river runs through it thing. When I was the chief marketing officer at TU, I had a very strict rule when I started there. No more river run through it bullshit pictures in the calendar, in the magazine, 
and online. So if I saw that stuff, I'd literally, I'd just, I'd pull it. You know, A, because it's dated, and B, it's like, okay, you see this guy half a mile down river, standing there by himself, fishing, you know, getting that sort of classic, this is relaxing moment. And that's not, that's not what fly fishing is anymore. You know, fly fishing isn't a solo sport anymore. And also, how are you going to relate to some guy whose back is turned to you, you know, while he's doing that epic cast? You know, you can't relate. So I was, I was, you know, we did new brand guidelines and I was like, I want to see smiling faces, close-ups, portraits, you know, diversity in the calendar, you know, and when I literally would have the photo editor be like, oh, I don't, we don't have any pictures of women. I'm like, then go buy them. You know, it, 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 it's that simple. You know, we need to also tell the photographers and the videographers that you have to start shooting a more diverse subject matter and we'll buy the pictures. If we buy the pictures and we buy the films, then it'll get made. It's that simple. I think you do need an economic influence, you know, and it helps. Whether we're talking about our fisheries or diversity within our sport, we still have a lot of work to do, folks. Before we go, we figured we'd share a quick DC fishing report from Rich Farino, the owner of the recently opened District Angling Fly Shop. District Angling. Hey, is this Rich? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Cool. So um, this is uh, my name is Richard Farino. I own uh, District Angling uh, Fly Shop in Arlington, Virginia, in the Washington D.C. metro area. I hear there's more to D.C. and the Potomac than just the shad fishing. Could you give me a little run through of like what the fishing looks like this time of year and throughout the summer? Yeah, man, sure. So um, we've currently had record rainfall this year and most of the rivers are blown out for a little bit. But normally this time of year, the uh, local rivers were chasing smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, resident striped bass, northern snakehead. Uh, it's usually a great time of year. Uh, Congress gets ready for their uh, August recess, so people start leaving town. The rivers get less crowded. And uh, then we'll start to head over to the Chesapeake Bay. That starts to heat up as well. Uh, bluefish and striped bass. It's been a, a rough year as far as the rain's concerned, but we're looking forward to uh, you know better weeks as uh, it gets later in the year. And do you yourself go out and target these fish? Uh, we try. I own a fly shop now, so that basically means I don't get to fish anymore. I get to live vicariously for my customers, but we get out whenever we can. District angling is how many months old right now? Uh, so technically, we established the business uh, in June of last year. We took six months to build the store out. We had a soft opening just a few days before Christmas of 2017, and our actual grand opening was April 14th of uh, this year. And who the hell opens a fly shop in this day and age? <laughs> There's an old joke about, um, you know, if you want to retire a millionaire in the fly fishing industry, you have to start with two million. And I've worked in this industry for a really long time. It's going on 17 years now. Really enjoy the industry, something that I, uh, I wanted to bring back to the area. You know, after the last few shops closed down in the Washington, D.C. metro area, was left with uh, without a full, you know, like a quality full service fly shop. Uh, we really loved the industry. We wanted to build a place for people to get away from their politics and their work, and come out and hang out and talk fishing. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job. A major thank you to Joel Johnson for making this whole thing happen. A shout out to the Binstead family and the whole crew at Fletcher's Landing for chatting with us and keeping the tradition alive. And a thanks to Rich at District Angling. Now, I'm not completely sure what next week's episode will be, 
But I've got a hunch that it might have something to do with another urban fishery a little further north, and there might be some smallmouth bass involved. But don't quote us on that. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast. <laughs>